Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Oh, well, gentlemen, um, finally, after how many weeks of playing amazing basketball, the uh, the AP finally got their head out of their ass and decided rank to rank this. Northwestern. Yeah. Rank this. Yeah, with the women's team uh, coming in at number 22 in the country, which honestly, when, when you consider the teams that uh, the Cats have beaten, seems a little low. I mean, they really, I think, should be like, 1819 but you know that that that's just me I, I i would argue even a little bit higher i mean i i like i like where we sit in the rpi right i think right at 16 but you look at we've we've beaten i think what number 17 and number 20 and we've lost to number 11 and number 18 something like that um so rpi yeah. is rpi is even kinder to us um because yeah. i think i was like sixth in rpi yeah. right now the depaul i think is like 13th so i mean if and and we're sitting i think somewhere at 16 rpi it's it's interesting you know well, i mean we can we can get into that in a, um uh the specifics of northwestern's ranking and what it all means in a second but probably the first place to start is i mean it's the last time we talked the cats had come out of those two kind of nervy wins against Minnesota and Purdue. And we talked, we speculated that maybe the committee, you know, or, or everyone who's doing these rankings was kind of looking and saying, show me something. And I, I, I would, I would say asked and answered. <laughs> and and, yeah. and be- before we, uh, you know, talk about that, that win at Indiana, um, do want to mention real quick, uh, we are all three of us confirmed, uh, going to be at the, uh, women's game against Michigan on January 30th. We got a group coming together. Anyone who's interested in joining us, uh, let us know, uh, as soon as possible. We're trying to get a group, uh, group tickets together. Um, you know, we're, we're putting this together. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so if you want to come out and join us, uh, the evening of, uh, it's a third, it's Thursday, the 30th, seven o'clock tip, uh, at Welsh Ryan arena, Come by, say hi, uh, join us. Let us know if you if you want to come, and uh, we'll we'll work on getting you a ticket. So um, definitely wanted to just mention that right off the top. But but uh, yeah, that Indi- that game at Indiana was just amazing. Absolutely, I mean it was the kind of thing where we we kind of locked in on it late, um, or at least I did, um, because we had a little bit of a deficit entering the fourth quarter. And then, man, all of a sudden just started to chip away and chip away and chip away in the most exciting fashion, rallied to force overtime. It was hilarious. I was listening to the WNUR feed. Um, and, you know, it, it took me back, Sammy, to our days and the attempting to, to balance journalistic impartiality with being a 19 20 year old college student absolutely <laughs> who absolutely <laughs> dies for northwestern sports and watching the listening to these guys lose their minds as northwestern was coming back were, were their and voices was, just going getting higher and higher and higher pitched as as it went along oh the and the you know the vocal fry into the microphones was just <laughs> over the top i mean it, it really it took me back but i mean it's I mean, good for them. I mean, it's awesome that those guys were able to be there for this just epic comeback. And, you know, the the steal at the end, I think it was Burton, right? Steal yeah. 
um, to seal it. It was an unbelievable. I, I think exciting. she had the go ahead layup as well. Yeah. Um, and, and this was a night where, uh, where Pulliam, you know, the third game in a row in a row that Pulliam struggled and, and IU really targeted her. They had, they had people draped all over her, um, forced, forced her to turn the ball over four times. Uh, really, really rough shooting percentage, which I mean, frankly, was, was just not her fault. She had a, she had a really tough, um, baseline score uh, in the waning minutes of the game as well. And it was one of those like, man, I, you know, I think the announcers kind of acknowledged like, man, Lindsay Pulliam's going to find a way on, you know, on a night that she's not shooting well. She, you know, she went, you know, hard to the basket on the baseline and, and, and got a, got a nice layup. But, um, you know, once again, in, in a, in a spot where she had, had trouble, the Abbeys looked really, really good. And then Burton, my goodness, uh, nine of 10 from, from, from the stripe, 15 points, uh, five steals, five steals, another four for, for Sydney Wood. Um, the, the backcourt continues to be spectacular, uh, both on both ends of the floor, but, but Burton was really the, I, you know, kind of the heart and soul and d- down the stretch and, and really so- so- socked this one away for Northwestern. I think, you know, one thing to, to think back on because we've been kind of batting around all the crazy numbers involving this team and, if we rewind um, a long time back to the NIT championship game from last year, um, one of the things that, you know, when you kind of felt like, okay, finally the air has gone out of this amazing balloon on this NIT run, it was because Arizona, you know, it was a road game, was at Arizona, their crowd was packed, they were jacked up for it. And they basically were like, we're going to take away Lindsey Pulliam, come hooker, you know, by hooker, by crook, that's what we're going to do. And they did it, and it was effective, and it's why they won the game. And then you you fast forward to now where it, there were three straight games on this four-game winning streak that Lindsey Pulliam had bad nights shooting the ball, including a game on the road against the number 15 team in the country. And everybody – I mean, at first it was like the, – the first game on that stretch, it was Shide stepped up. And then the second game, it was Wolf stepped up. And then in this game, everybody stepped up. And then against Penn State, everybody really stepped up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lindsey did not have a fourth bad game in a row. No, yeah. It was like, it was, and, and then basically, like, so basically my point is, this team has suddenly arrived at a place where all five starters are very, very good. Um, all five. Your number five offensive weapon of the starting five is Sidney Wood, who's more than happy to basically be like the Andre Iguodala of this team and basically be like, look, I'm just going to defer to everybody else and on defense, just send it all my way. (laughs) And, And they're, and they're, I mean, it is, this team has just coalesced. And then it was just funny because they had this amazing win against Indiana and then poor Penn State got the power of this fully armed and operational battle station. <laughs> and that like Scuzz alluded to, Pulliam was like, All right, I'm I'm back. And then they all just ripped Penn State apart. And and, and then and with Abby Shad going eight of nine from the floor, six of six from three, she went off against Penn State. And it's just one of those things where it's like this team is basically like if you're wondering how it would be when we went back to playing the lesser teams in the Big Ten, this is what it's going to be like. 
Um, and I mean, it, it's a team that has that finally is ranked is ranked. I mean, we talked about this, Sam, when it first came out. We were like, twenty two feels a little bit low, and you were like, yes, and that's just going to keep this team mad. Um, <laughs> and they and they probably are. I mean, this is a team that's sixteen and two. We were talking about some of the crazy numbers. This team lost to Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament last year. Since then, they're 21-3, and and their only road loss is to Arizona in the finals of the NIT tournament. They haven't lost a regular season Big Ten game to a team other than Iowa in over 11 months. This team is absolutely white hot right now. And not only white hot, but they're... Five players, you know, the starting five of this team honestly feels like they can go out and match up with the starting five of any team on their schedule. They're, they are a power right now. Well, and it's probably worth mentioning just because we've, we've essentially mentioned everybody else that, um, you know, the, the depth on this team is, is being provided by, uh, by Jordan Hamilton and, and Courtney Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Hamilton had 20 minutes in both of the last two games. Didn't score any points against IU. Was 0 for 6. But Shaw put up eight against uh, against IU, and then both both players had had close to 20 minutes against Penn State. Um, Bertie Galernick is the other the other player that gets out there. She generally only comes out in uh, in free throw situations where they want to get another like real sharp shooter on the on the floor. And I've I've heard mentioned from the announcers in a couple different spots like. Or, or maybe maybe it's even even the daily or the coverage from Inside NU that has kind of kind of said like, gosh, it'd be great if Birdie could play a little bit more. But I mean, she's she's the fifth guard right uh, behind Pulliam, Burton, Wood, and, and Hamilton, and uh, and that's just hard to hard to get minutes. But um, but it is nice to know that there is some depth that has that has played a bit this year and. You can envision a spot down the road, be it foul trouble or something, where you know we're going to need somebody, somebody to show up. I think you know Abby Wolf fouled out against IU, and and Shaw, you know, had to come into that game in, in OT and 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 play some real critical minutes. So, um, if there's one, I don't know what I don't want to call it a weakness, but it's one thing that concerns me about about the Cats. It is it is a bit of a short bench, but they've shown us. I mean, they showed it throughout that tournament last year. Like they've got the endurance and the stamina to go toe to toe with with big teams, um, even into OT, and and not, you know, uh, wilt under under the pressure and and kind of the elongated game. So um, a, a potential weakness, but one that they've really been able been able to overcome thus far. A uh, couple interesting games this weekend or this week. Um, you know, Thursday, uh, probably today, as if you're listening to this uh, on the day of download. Um, they're at Michigan State, uh, followed by a trip to Maryland, uh, back out to take on the Terps. Um, you know, obviously, Maryland's going to be a little salty after the butt whooping that we put on them uh, earlier this year. Uh, That'll be an interesting game. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Um, and then you know, coming back uh, for that game against Michigan that we're all going to be at. Uh, so. You know some some good you know good games coming up. Um, yeah, this so, so this Maryland so just, game is is really going to be fascinating. Yeah, before we get there, I mean, just real quick on Michigan State. This is a team that the Cats should be able to handle. Now they did beat Rutgers by eleven in their last game. Rutgers is 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 fifteen and three overall, uh, five and two in conference. Not ranked, and maybe that's for a reason. They haven't really played anyone major or beaten anyone major. Um, but Michigan State has a loss on the road at Penn State. They've got a loss at Michigan. Um, they got 
crushed pretty pretty good by all the ranked teams that they've played, um, save for beating Notre Dame early on in the season. So, uh, th- I mean, again, this is a team that Northwestern should be able to beat. the The big question is, you know, you know, can can the Cats do it again against Maryland? They're going to have a much tougher a much tougher uh, challenge here being on the road. It's it's also fascinating too. I mean, I guess you know, if you make me pick, I think right now Iowa feels like the class of the conference. I yeah. mean, that that six RPI is no joke. Unfortunately, we don't see them the rest of the way until the right, Big Ten tournament. Right. Which again is it's it's all very interesting, just because again Iowa has that inexplicable loss to Nebraska, and then aside from that, at least in conference, they're just taking all comers, and their their pounding of us is getting better looking by the minute. Um, there, but with all that said, I mean we were kind of talking about this because it's so funny, you know, Northwestern. We wondered after the NIT run, is there any chance we get ranked to start the season? Nope, not even a sniff. I think we had like one vote at the start of the season overall. Um, and since then, that team is 16 and two and is finally ranked. And we're kind of trying to figure out if you look at various bracketology, I think ESPN right now pegs Northwestern as a five seed. I think Scuzz, didn't you say you've seen them, you've seen us as a four seed yep. in some places. Um, and it's funny to look at that. And again, to juxtapose that with just about the whole conference is the whole Big Ten. The rankings for every ranked team are lagging behind RPI. I mean, with teams like Iowa way behind, and you can throw us into that mix too. And it's, I think, really the nation and the writers and everyone who votes are trying to figure out, all right, where is the Big Ten? Because there's so much going on at the top of the conference. I think when you think about women's basketball and you think about, all right, and, and you know, just if you know anything about women's basketball, close your eyes right now and tick off the names of all the teams you expect to be one seeds, right? Those teams tend to lord over their conferences. And you can look at the stats right now. Baylor dominating the Big 12. UConn hasn't lost an AAC game, I think, like ever, right? Louisville dominating the ACC. Um, it is a lot of stuff like that. And then you have the Big 10, where you have really five teams right now where they're all kind of throwing haymakers at each other. And Northwestern, we talked about that it was kind of that way like a couple weeks ago. And since then, Northwestern has given at least as good as we've gotten and right now have the best overall record in the conference. But I still feel like a lot of people are trying to sort all this out. And I think the fact the fact that there are so many good teams ought to benefit the Big Ten right now. I mean, this is still a, a league where people are talking about like 10 bids coming out of this conference. So if that's true, the fact that one team is not completely throttling every other team in the conference shouldn't keep all these teams, including Northwestern, from getting pretty good rankings. Um, with that said, I mean, the Cats definitely need to continue to win. But I think if they can continue to give as good as they get at the top of this conference, there's going to be a good seed waiting for them at the end of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, really looking forward to, to this upcoming week. Obviously, you know, we're going to keep talking about it, but, um, come out next Thursday, uh, the Michigan game. It's going to be so much fun. Um, you know, John and I have been to Welsh Ryan since the remodel scuzz. I believe this is going to be your, your first time. I can't wait to see what you think of the, of the facility. My first time. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, uh, there will, I, I, we, nobody's, nobody's talked about any, any pregame gathering plans, but, um, I'll be damned if I'm going to let an opportunity to gather a, 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 a post game gathering of folks. I know it's a school night, but, uh, 
hopefully we can get we can get some folks to uh to coalesce somewhere somewhere local and grab a couple brews and uh that that is that is absolutely happening to toast this team and the spectacular run that they're on right now interesting so other interesting thing too for all you who are listening who are thinking about potentially you know getting on board joining us for this game checking this game out it's kind of an interesting scene that weekend i mean we've talked about this before but champions for wildcat women the 2020 weekend summit is going on that weekend and granted like the events official events don't start until that friday but this is the kind of event that a lot of you know the big names in northwestern sports and by extension i would guess northwestern sports media particularly female members are going to be coming to northwestern for this weekend and there is strong incentive for all of them to come out and support our awesome basketball team. I don't have any specific intel on this. I'm just saying I would probably expect a pretty interesting and distinguished crowd at this game. Um, and that's not just including the Westlot Pirates, of course. Um, but, <laughs> but I, but I, I just think it's just, again, come, come for the camaraderie with us, come for the awesome basketball, come for the awesome facilities, but don't be surprised if you see some notable people attending this game. It's a, it's a big weekend for Northwestern. Very much looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep talking about it because it, you know, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we probably should talk about the, the men, um, as you know, kind of on, on the flip side of things. Um, you know, uh, Boo Booey's back. You know, that, that's, that's good. Um, the, this game the other night against Maryland, um, where the Cats were winning just in a pretty amazing way in the first half before, uh, getting completely caught in the second half and, Losing by double digits, it, you know, it's, it's frustrating. Um, and you, you look back at the, think back to the Illinois game uh, right before that. I uh, had a great second half against Illinois. Um, you know, they, they've had really good halves of basketball. Uh, the Indiana game you can think back to. Even Iowa was, you know, close until it wasn't. Um, but it's like th- this team is is getting there. And you just really are hoping that all of the losing that's that's happening and will probably continue to happen uh, the rest of the way isn't like sinking in and those those tendrils of doubt really working their way into the the psyche of these guys. So before we talk about last night's Maryland game, because I think John, you've got some really smart takes about uh, about about what went down there. I want to I want to back up um, to essentially the 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 post boo booey experience as he's as he's been out for uh for what was it like five five straight games um yeah it was it was like since the beginning since the minnesota game right yeah Yeah. since the minute so i think including the minnesota game he didn't play he didn't play yeah he went down against hartford so um so six games we got the win against nebraska but in these other ones right like close against against minnesota at times like I, i felt like northwestern really just kind of hung in within single digits, but never really threatened to win that game, you know, leading until late against Indiana, um, a good showing early against Iowa. Like you just said, Sam, good first half against Illinois, good first half against Maryland up until the Maryland game. Like, like those other, those other five games, folks, it's really, really hard to win a game in the big 10 when you have one healthy guard. And that's essentially what the cats have been playing with. And I, I think I saw some people tweeting after the Illinois game around like, yeah, 
like they're they're working hard, but I need to see some tangible results. And 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 the reality is is that with the injury situation and the way the season is going, I mean, these guys could have mailed it in weeks ago. Yeah. And they are they are out there busting their asses. I mean, you don't you don't build up that kind of lead against Maryland by not working hard. Same deal on the road at a ranked Illinois, right? Like Illinois is ranked this year. They're they're number two in the conference right now, um, based on record. And like they've been shit the last few years, but um but they're starting to look decent again. So I like all all of that frame all that should be framed un, under the under the guise of like this team could could be quitting right now and they're not. And that's a that's frankly a really good sign and and to your point Sam right like they're 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 taking their lumps um you you know you can see some improvement in 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 player to player Robbie Barron has been has been getting some good looks of late um uh Nancy even looked good against Maryland but I mean t- like the thing that they haven't done they they need to figure out how to win a close game late they you know they had that experience against Nebraska hopefully in you know one of these one of these upcoming games whether it's Ohio State at home Maybe Purdue at home, although that doesn't that doesn't feel super likely. But you got a Michigan team, you got at Penn State, you've got some opportunities. Minnesota at home, some opportunities to 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 get another win, um, and 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 to flex that that late game muscle and figure out how to win. But with with such a short bench and with only one guard, it's really damn hard to do. Yeah, now, Maryland. We had Boo Booey back, but that's it's like, good, that was a take, different animal. It's going to take Booey a, a little bit to get back in shape too, because I mean, he had a stress fracture in his foot. You're going to lose a little bit of conditioning if you're not able to run for three, four weeks. For sure, and it's it's so funny when you watch. I mean, because against Illinois, Northwestern scored points, and in the first half of Maryland, we scored points too, and it's it's funny to watch how we score points and, and to Scuzz's point to be amazed at the time when this team is competitive and understand that this is basically a dysfunctional roster that's out. And I'm not saying dysfunctional to throw shade at anybody. It's in the injuries. I mean, this team started out so thin at guard. And, and like I said, like Scuzz said, is playing with a single guard. And and that includes the Maryland game because like, right. Bowie only put in 16 minutes and was not a hundred percent in that game. And then you watch the team score when they can score. And the reason they tend to score is individual excellence for guys who were expected to be and often are great basketball players. When a guy like Robbie Barron has a good night, you're like, oh, yeah, that's why this guy was a four-star recruit because he's 6'9 and can handle and do things. Miller Cop was a high three-star recruit who was really well regarded. And a lot of us were like, you know, I think he may be the most effective guy, especially early on in his career based on his pedigree coming in. He's clearly our number one offensive option. And especially against Maryland, especially in the first half, when you watch him get going and get his stroke going, you're like, there's a real offensive, you know, force there. The problem is even at the best of these times, there is no overall synthesis to this offense. And as we talked, and you know, especially Scuzz talked about last week, a lot of that is on Chris Collins in general. And then a lot of it is on just the roster that we're forced to put out there. To me, one of the most fascinating things, because especially when we get out, when Northwestern sits back in this zone 
that we are occasionally using, which I don't think was part was intended to be part of the plan at the start of the season, right? We were going to see a lot of AJ Turner, a lot of Anthony Gaines, a lot of matchup man-to-man defense, right? And now with so much of that thrown out, you know, especially with Gaines going down and with us just starved for guards, we're seeing more zone. As soon as you watch this team line up in like a 3-2 or 2-3 zone, the first reaction is just like, whoa, Nelly, that's a terrifying looking zone. Because so many guys, even a guy like Nance, who is trick or treat on offense, is still 6'9 with like seven foot length on defense with high effort and high motor, like a lot of these guys are. In a zone, it looks terrifying. It looks like something Jim Beheim would dream up. And then you watch the execution of the zone and you see, oh, these guys have not practiced zone nearly as much as they need to have practiced zone because this team is just, you know, has the soul of a zone basketball team right now and not the reps to back it up. I mean, I watch us run offense, right? And, and you think about the way a lot of the vintage Bayheim teams run that two, three zone, right? It's look, if you have to use the full shot clock to get the bat to, to, to find a shot, use the full shot clock to find the shot. Two point, three point, it doesn't matter. It just needs to go in because the point is a made basket allows us to set our zone up at the other end. And you think and you look at the roster Northwestern's basically had to pull out and you're like, well, that's that's the offense this team should be running, right? Um, work it around, maybe try, you know, make Ryan Young a primary option. Try to work it into him. See if you can get something inside, outside. See if you can get Miller Cop a decent mid-range jump shot or something like that. Like that's of like a kind of days gone by offensive look and be like, look, the point is just get it in. Because this team, if they are not getting offensive rebounds, this team gets crushed off of missed baskets. There's just no speed end to end. And a team like Maryland just eviscerated us in the second half on that. Um, and that's where Illinois had a lot of their se- success offensively. This team needs to make baskets and then get back and set up a zone. I mean, as it's currently set up, the problem is that's not the experience of this team. These guys did not spend all offseason drilling zone, 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 and trying to find ways to utilize big men. As we've talked for weeks now, if they had, Ryan Young would be a much more central figure in this offense. So it's just tough because – you you watch all of this and you watch the moments when there is offensive success and it'll be like Ryan Spencer penetrating or Miller Cop get get hot and then Maryland will make adjustments in the second half and be like look they've just got a guy who's a hot hand right now there's no real overall synthesis to this focus on that and then if we start missing shots they just push pace the other way so it, it's hard and I, on one thing everything Scuzz said is true in that there are a lot of really talented basketball players out here playing with a lot of effort. And there are times, especially the first half of this game, where a guy like Miller Kopp is going off, and you're like, well, that guy's every bit of an upper echelon Big Ten player. Um, and he just can't be stopped. And Pat Spencer is making guys, you know, getting to the pain and moving guys around. It's just, like like Sam said, this team's been like, you feel like they're snake bitten. You get a first half out of them, a second half out of them. But then you step back and you're like, look, with what these guys can do and the way, to Scuzz's point, top Big Ten teams who are all good can adjust to it, it's just super hard to put together two full halves that leave you in a position to win. The one other little thing I'll throw in that, that has me a little worried, and this is where everyone rolls their eyes and says, a little worried. We're like one in seven in conference. You should be a lot worried. Fair. Um, I would just say 
if you take the Maryland game as an example right now, right? The problem, like next year we have Ty Berry coming in, an awesome four-star guard, very highly regarded, doing very well on the tournament circuit right now. Um, but we lose Pat Spencer. And that still puts us in a position where next year, you know, depending on whether or not Anthony Gaines can come back or how that all works out, that it very well might be Ty Berry and Boo Booey. And that's that's two Big Ten upper echelon guards, and that's right where we are right now. And Pat Spencer put up a 17-9 and against Maryland, and it's hard to imagine that Ty Berry would come out and do better than a 17-9. and A 17-9 and is pretty good. And in my mind, that puts us right back to where we are right now. It's not just the quality of players. Like, we need more guards, and we need an offensive game plan here. Cats are off until Sunday against Ohio State, uh, then on the road uh, next Wednesday at Michigan State uh, on both those games on Big Ten Network, uh, and then coming back uh, home on Saturday against Purdue, um, then a week off before going to Rutgers uh, the next week. So um, some tough ones coming up. You know, Ohio State is 2-5 uh, and five in the conference, 12-6 and six overall. So, you know, you're looking at a team that's, really should be a lot better than they are. I mean, I, they're they're just not winning games in the conference, but they've got a whole lot of talent. And then, uh, obviously, Michigan State is Michigan State. Um, you know, they are you know leading the conference a uh, half game ahead of Illinois. So, you know, Izzo has his boys going uh, as strong as they go. Wouldn't it be just so Northwestern for us to go to Michigan State and knock them off just because and then lose out? Sure. I mean, I'll, ta- yeah, I'll, I'll yes. take it. <laughs> uh, so, you yes, know, but we, that's, that's probably not going that, to Yeah. That's probably not happening, but you know, we, we can always think and dream. Um, some football news, uh, we should probably discuss, um, very interesting hire by Iowa state. Uh, they have a running backs coach coming in. A guy who hasn't coached running backs in a really long time. Ever? I I don't know. I I believe. High school? I want to say I saw something that I think early 90s. It was either early 90s or late 80s he coached running backs. So, So yeah, Mick McCall hired by Iowa State to be their running backs coach. Okay, cool. You know, it seems like. Yeah, and Matt Campbell came out and said, you know, he knew him from his time at Bowling Green. That was over ten years ago. Many moons. Yeah. Yes. And like, it is. It's you know. It's 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 amazing. Um just the the extent to which personal connections fuel all this. And again, I it's it's one of those things where a lot of the Northwestern fan base, I mean, you know, you take the high road, you say, good on you, good, I'm glad you landed somewhere else. And then there's the other part of you that says, boy, I can't believe that they hired Mick McCall. But, I mean, you're getting a guy who was an offensive coordinator at a Big Ten school for many, many years, right? And um, it, it, it's – so it's it's interesting. And, and there's, I, I think – Position coach is a very different animal from offensive coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. Right. He's, I mean, if you were to tick off the, the, the things that frustrated you most about Mick, it was game plan, uh, adjustments and play calling. He ain't responsible for any of that as a running backs coach. He obviously understands offensive principles and 
for all intents and purposes, I think like generally the vibe on him as a quarterbacks coach was was pretty good. I think that's the thing that's most weird though, right? Is that he's been a quarterbacks coach for the better part of fifteen years, and like exclusively. I mean, that's what he did at Bowling Green. He coached Josh Harris, who who I might add ripped Northwestern apart um, in our Motor City Bowl game. But other than that, like like. And, and maybe all the running QBs means that there's maybe there's some some skills that translate whatever, but it is it is a very different animal from a coordinator role. I mean, yeah. he he has had multiple quarterbacks play in the NFL. You know, you think of Simeon, um, Thorson is on on the practice squad with Dallas. Kafka, uh, you know, worked under him. Persa got a look even after his uh, ankle, his Achilles injuries. Um, you know, all these guys McCall did coach. So, you know, you're looking for a feather for him to put in his cap. You know, he can say, you know, he did get a lot of quarter, uh, several quarterbacks into the league. So, yeah, know, I mean, which I, is- I, I'm, I'm, you know, squint, I'm saying that while, you know, really trying to ignore what happened this past season with all of the quarterback issues that we had. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, like he, it really is, you step back and you're like, okay, the right. So there's like personal connections here, but that's like across all of coaching, right? Like so much of it comes down to relationships and that's just the way things are. And, and the other thing for Iowa state is they've got a chance, right. To, to take a guy who was a big 10 offensive coordinator for a long, long time as a position coach and any potential theoretical recruiting benefits that might come with that, et cetera. I totally understand all of that. And again, it's like a landing place for Mick McCall. That's good. I think the, the one thing that sticks in my craw a little bit about this is that I envision Venrick Mark at some point going and looking up Mick McCall's bio on the Iowa state website and seeing his name prominently mentioned in Mick McCall's bio. Um, and because Mick McCall is going to be the running backs coach and that is the way his bio is going to be spun. And I, I just don't know. I just, I mean, I'm envisioning Venrick looking at that and how he'll feel when he sees it. Um, and that's the, that's the one thing that, they're kind of what, what what John is alluding to is that Venrick Mark spent two uh, just head scratching and inconceivable years as a wide receiver in the Jelani Roberts mold before he was finally given an opportunity to be a running back and oh guess what he was a, he was an All American yeah so I mean it's it's that kind of thing and and I think you know it'll be. It's going to – obviously everything that Sam said about the quarterbacks is going to be in that bio. But with him being a running backs coach, you can bet that, you know, 1A and 1B is going to be Justin Jackson and Venrick Mark. And I think, you know, J.J. is probably, a, I would imagine, a, a little more comfortable than that than Venrick. Um, although if, if J.J. wasn't, uh, you know – not exactly, not exactly the biggest wilting flower on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, we'd probably hear about it. I think we, we would probably hear about it from JJ. So, um, so, but again, that's it's it's kind of splitting, picking little nits here, and and in this case, a lot of this stuff is less specific to Mick McCall and more just specific to the craziness that is college football in general. So, again, I'm I'm glad he's found a, a landing place, and you know, best of luck to him at Iowa State. Uh, speaking of Twitter, um, you know, we had, 
part of a really interesting conversation that was going on uh, this afternoon. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, Dave, um, he's on Twitter as at Panda Jersey, put together a really interesting um, kind of top Northwestern team slash players of the past 25 years. It's been 25 years since the Rose Bowl team. Um, yes, yeah, he kind of subjectively ranked uh, all the 25 teams uh, that played over that season, then went back and looked at the players, kind of picking, you know, looking at individual honors, accolades, and putting together first, second, and third team uh, for the last 25 years. And, you know, we, we were involved in some back and forth conversation, really great conversation. Like this is what Twitter should be used for. And I'm really glad it was in this point. Um, but I, I kind of just want to talk about a few of the things that, uh, yeah, he, he brought up, um, you know, just kind of looking at, at the, at the top of the, the team rankings. Um, his number one team he has is that Rose Bowl season. Uh, you know, 10 and 2, uh, 8 0 in conference, obviously losing the Rose Bowl to USC. Um, the number two would have been the next year. That was my freshman year. Uh, the Citrus Bowl, uh, season where, you know, we lost to Tennessee, uh, followed by the, the Gator Bowl win season, um, the 2012 season, uh, 10 and 3, uh, 5 and 3 in the conference. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, as as we look back, you know, you could really make arguments either way was who which team was better, that 96 team or that 2012 team. Well, I, so I, I I was I was in the throes of this conversation as well today and I thought it was really it was really really fun. Um and actually the thread's still going on Twitter, which is great hours later. I love Twitter. Uh anyways, I so my take here was um you know, one of the things that was special about that 2012 season and is really true about every Northwestern season, um, in this, in this 25 year era, save 95. Cause I think this was true in 95 as well. But, um, in 2012, the, the cats conceivably could have won every single game. Um, they had a lead in the fourth quarter in every single game they were in. Uh, they ended, I think they ended up losing the Nebraska game by eight or nine points, maybe. Um, but every other game was, was a single score and it was, um, and then when, when you cap it with the bowl win and what that meant for the program and, and, you know, quote unquote, getting the monkey off our back, et cetera, 50 year drought, yada, 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 yada. I just, to me, that was a better season than than the '96 season. Now, at the same time, I think if those two teams played each other, I'd probably I'd probably put odds on the '96 team. They just I, f- I feel like top to bottom they were just a, just a, a better, stronger team, um, and maybe a tough matchup. I mean, Pat, Pat Fitzgerald in the middle against Kane Coulter at QB on the other side is a pretty Kane Coulter and Vendrick Mark. It's a pretty interesting um, <laughs> uh, situation to play out in your mind, but. Um, I don't know. What, I like. What are your guys' reaction to that? <clears throat> I think it, it is interesting. Everything you said is true, and by far, it's that '96 team versus the 2012 the team. And right, that that 2012 team really, certainly of of the Westlot Pirates era, was the powerhouse team of of the 
the era of our podcast for sure. Can, can, can I interrupt briefly? I, I I forgot to mention this. Like in in '96, they got blown out by Penn State and they lost to a bad Wake Forest team. And so that that's what I'm juxtaposing that 2012, you know, close wins, lead in the fourth quarter every game um, experience against. Right, and I think the the one other thing that I'll throw in, in in addition to the fact that so much of the 95 DNA was still in that 96 team, but I guess it kind of dovetails with my point is that there are so many times, right, where Northwestern has put together a good season and then expectations have just crushed the team in the following season. And that 96 team to put up a nine and three season and a seven and one in conference season the year after the Rose Bowl was a pretty phenomenal achievement. And it really enabled Northwestern to say that there were really two years of major dominance there. Um, and I give a lot of credit to that 96 team. And it really, it really kind of emphasizes the fact that there was so much of the DNA of that Rose Bowl team still in that 96 team and the records bear it out. And that's where you could, you know, that's where you can visualize, you know, the the swagger that that 96 team would bring into a hypothetical matchup with the 2012 team but um again i I think i don't know boy like it's the kind of thing where you make me choose i think maybe my bias might shine through just a little bit just because that 2012 team truly was such a special team for us and and like scuzz said a stone's throw away really just the tiniest little stone's throw from being an undefeated football team so at, but yeah. at, at number four, he's got the 2017 season. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, how big of a departure, um, would you have that from that, uh, 2017 year, uh, behind the either 96 or 2012? Like, is, is there a big gap there? Cause, you know, the 2017, 10 and three, uh, you know, the seven game, you know, win streak down the stretch, the win over, uh, Kentucky in the Music City Bowl. I don't know. Thoughts? I mean, the, the defense was bet. Like you look at the S and P plus, uh, the defense in 2017 was 17th. In 2012, the defense was 50th. Uh, so I go. So I, I. It's funny. I would actually put the 2015 team above the 2017 team okay. in some ways, um, namely because of, namely for the defense. The the 2015 defense was. So absurdly legendary. Um, they 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 had two real bad games in a row against uh, Michigan and Iowa, but but the win over Stanford to me was was kind of a greater achievement than anything that seventeen team team did. The, in twenty seventeen, they they got blown out in that Duke game. Uh, they got blown out by Penn State at home. Um, you know the the close loss uh, at Wisconsin with the pick six at the end. You know that's you know maybe th- th- that's that's fine. Uh, they certainly ended that season strong. Um, but I yeah, I, th- th- those are the other two in the running, right? Like along with 2018, of course, with the Big Ten championship. Yeah, uh, the only other thing is, of course, the wrinkle of the the 2000 team and and the fact that yes, that team had four losses and yes that team was so defensively deficient and you know if you compare the talent on that team defensively to the talent on just about any other the teams we've talked about it's not remotely close and yet that offense was just 
you know, like, could you map out a situation where that 2000 team beats any of these other teams? Yeah, sure. It'd be like some like 45. To yeah, like, yeah, I think it's 54, 51, maybe 54, 51 game. Exactly. <laughs> um, so and, and just just in in terms of of all of these teams, that 2000 team has something that can real. I mean, at least not in any way we've seen yet cannot be replicated right it was the right people at the right time in the right scheme and you know literally at the tip of the spear of a movement that was taking over football and we were right there in that moment and everything came together perfectly so um in in that way I kind of wonder if that team and you know yes at six and two but still won a conference championship and in that way I'm kind of like would I put that team above some of these other teams. I don't know. Um, but I mean, certainly like you could juxtapose it against the 2018 team where the defense was great and the offense was just flat bad, you know, and say, okay, so this is kind of like the inverse of that, but this team won a championship. So I don't know. That's just my little stump speech for the 2000 team. I, it is, it is hard. It is really hard for me to not put like the emotions that I have for that, that 2000 team are, um, are kind of unparalleled. Like, like, the, like the only two things that that compare with that um, for me are the Gator Bowl win and and going to the Big Ten championship game in in 2018. That that 2000 team is just it's etched in my soul as my like th- like that's that's the year that I got sucked in. Right, that's the year that the claws grabbed me and and will never let me go. Right. I I, I briefly just want to mention um, kind of going down a little bit. The the one one season that was just full of memories, right? The two thousand four season. I just I just want to briefly talk about the two thousand four season. Yeah, you, we, you know why it's full of memories, Sammy? Because we went to we like seven to away games. every game. We yes. were we pretty much went to every game. We we went to Kansas and yep. you know stood in the rain in Lawrence. Oh uh, God, road trip Kansas. there. We flew down to Phoenix for the Arizona yep. State game. And then we went to Hawaii. Well, I I believe we also road tripped to Michigan yep. and Indiana. We sure, yeah, that we were at almost every game that I, season. I think there's one game we missed. Um, I gotta look up that schedule now and, and remind myself. Yeah, that that was the year we beat Ohio State. That that was the the win over Ohio State. Amazing road trips. It was also the year we lost at TCU. Remember that game to start the year? We yep. missed five field goals and lost by three in OT. Yeah, that's right. Uh, lost at Minnesota. Were we at that game? We must have been. Yeah, I remember that game. I remember that game because we tailgated at, at Kayhawk's house. And yep, then, yep, um, yep, yep. Yeah, that was, that was brutal. Uh, Inter- interesting. So We did not go to Wisconsin. That's the one game we missed, Sammy. We did not go to Wisconsin on October 23rd. Okay. So here's an interesting question just because you got me thinking about it. Would Noah Heron going into the end zone in that Ohio State game be the top moment not involving a team on the top 10 list that we've been talking about? Is there another moment from a team that is not otherwise on this list that would get into that group? Um, that to me would the- be... Baz engineering the 14 point comeback in the last four minutes against Iowa in 05 
Yeah, but that old five, but that old five team is sitting at number nine on this list. That's the Sun Bowl team. That's what okay. I was. That's what I was trying to think. I was like, I mean, of all 20, 2010, Persa coming back against Iowa, tearing his yeah, Achilles. That's in the, true. In the win. Yeah, yeah. Right. That would you know, probably be right up there. What uh, about the? Um, the what was the game? year that? What was uh, the year that Brian was it? Brian Peters. Um, no, it wasn't. It was Brian Brian Smith with the interception return against Minnesota. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what year that was. That was that was Kafka, wasn't it? Wasn't that 09? Yeah, okay. So, so yeah, so the point is some good moments even in even in ones that didn't make the list. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think this is a fun list. I certainly don't have any big quarrel with any of the list as it's laid out. Um, it's more just like interesting food for discussion. I don't think there are any particular things where I'm being like, "Oh my gosh, how could this team be ranked so low, etc." Um, it's 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 a it's a good list that prompts a lot of good discussion. I would like to see that ninety six and twenty twelve team square off on the field though. I think that would be pretty fun. Can we can we fire that up on um EA's NCAA <laughs> yeah. football fourteen? Is that the last <laughs> Right. Um just, just briefly, I don't want to go too deep into it, but the uh the all the all I guess the the, the individual rankings um you know it's kind we, of, we we need it we need a whole podcast to we do that. we do i i just <laughs> i just briefly want to mention a, a couple uh, just a couple things and, and we can we'll come back and we'll talk about this a lot more but um anything do you have any major uh issues with you know he has baz as the first team qb schnur as second team and Persa as third oh it, this, I never, I, I never saw Schnur. It's so hard for me to make that assessment. Um, but, but Baz as number one for me is is very acceptable. Yeah, it's tough for me. I mean, I to me, not putting Person number one. I like he's to me right. He's the best. Person's the best I ever saw wear purple, and that's not to throw shade at Baz, who is amazing and awesome, and his numbers absolutely back it up. Again, I like I I don't take issue with any anyone on that list. It is a great list. I think my personal preference, I just to me, Purse is one of the most special college quarterbacks that I've ever seen. And that's not to say it doesn't apply to the other guys, but I think he'll he would be number one on my list. So here's an interesting I, I, I question. Actually, I actually did see Schner. Um you know, my freshman year, Schner was QB there. He was amazing. And you know, it you know, you look at it a little bit different just because it was a different game back then. But the way he ran that offense, you know, yeah, a lot of it was Darnell Autry. Absolutely, he was you know he was the the meat and potatoes. But you know, Schnur was the heart. Yeah, I, I, I can't argue with with like the, like the QBs, like those three QBs, um. In some order, it, like like the only the only other argument you could maybe maybe make is Clayton Thorson as a four year starter. Schnur Schnur had well, he's only got Schnur in ninety six. Who was QB in ninety five? It was Schnur, but he was looking yeah, was at the, the the top twenty five seasons by postseason honors. Ah, gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So yes, th- this yes, is yes. a more of an objective list. So you know, yeah, Baz had you know was all Big Ten once, you know, and then. First team, second team, third team, yeah. 
so so I'll just I'll throw out a couple names that I that I I struggle that are not on here or in different spots. Venrick Mark not being there at running back is really hard for me. I don't know who I would replace. Um, in my head, it is hard for me to separate Jason Wright and Noah Heron from one another just because they were such a dynamic duo. Um, but I guess the I guess the point being in you know, 04, Wright was graduated and Heron was still there. So uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe I'd have Mark in there over Sutton. I know he only had one season, but my God, it was unbelievable. It was a, it was a hell of a I, season. I'm not capable of commenting rationally on where Ben Smith <laughs> should be on this list. <laughs> I, I knew I, that was going to touch a nerve. Don't, like, I, I will only say something that will r- draw the ire of every member of our listening audience where I, where I had to bring this up. Let's just say... Vet, let's just say I agree with Scuzz and Venrick would be on my list also. Where we don't need to go into. <laughs> F- folks, he's our all-time favorite. He really is. Um uh the the other the other one at the at the skill position that I I struggle with I don't know where you put him though is is Kane Coulter. I I don't think you can put him above any of those QBs. I you can't put him at wide receiver because I don't think he played there long enough. Although may, like maybe over a Mark Sausen, um, maybe over a Fillmore. I I don't I don't know. I I just if I if I think about the best players that I've watched play Northwestern football, King Coulter is absolutely on that list somewhere. So and I, I guess you know, and that's maybe something that we could look at. You know, if if we go back to this, you know, he, this was more of an objective uh, ranking. So, you know, he was taking a bunch of different things into account here. We could come back and kind of give, you know, a more subjective ranking. Cause yeah, you know, we did, well, we did a two deep, um, what, like a year, two years ago, a couple years yeah. ago, in, in like the... a, like a fits, a fits era too deep. This would, this will be a lot harder, right? Going back into the Walker and, and um, Barnett, Barnett era. eras. Yeah. So, something we can something we can play with, and uh, you know why don't why don't we take the take it offline, play around with it a little bit, and see if it's uh, it's worth mentioning you know, down the road a little bit. Uh, but you know, Dave, great job putting all this together. This, yeah, this is, is awesome, really, really this cool. Is awesome. The only thing is so much fun conversation too. The only thing, yeah, the only other thing I'd say is the the linebackers look a little off. Um, first team, Anthony Walker, sure, Barry Gardner, absolutely. Pat, somebody, I, I'm trying to, this third guy, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, I, I, before my time, I guess, I, I don't remember, but certain, certainly Walker and Gardner, and we can, we can quibble about whoever this Pat, Pat I, something. I, I got to do this for old time's sakes. McGarrigal! <laughs> Sorry, we did a lot of that in the stands for, for three years. Quite a bit. Chichi Araguzo in third team. Yeah, Chichi. Chichi! Anywho, this is, has been a lot of fun to, uh, to play with today. Um, you know, definitely cool to see. Uh, anything else before we get out of here tonight, guys? Just come out, come out January 30th. Um, hit Cat up on Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter. If, if you, if you don't know Cat and you don't, and you don't know how to find her, um, we will get your name on the group, on, on the group, uh, ticket request. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, come out. It's going to be great. For sure. I, I can't wait. Um, 
a week and a day away from uh, as we record this uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlotpirates. You can always email the show, westlotpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field playing the Red Pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.